Welcome to Thoughts on Thriving, a holistic lifestyle and wellness podcast that's here to help you become the healthiest, happiest, most aligned version of yourself. I'm your host, Ava, a registered dietitian in training and health and wellness junkie. I'm so excited to have you here as I dive deep into meaningful conversations covering topics from nutrition and mental health to spirituality and self-development and everything in between with experts in many fields. I'm so happy you're choosing to learn how to thrive today. Let's get into the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Thoughts on Thriving. I am really, really excited for today's episode. It is such a good one, you guys. I'm chatting with Stella Stephanopoulos today, and Stella is the host of a mental health podcast called Everyday Endorphins. So her podcast is all about finding happiness and endorphins in daily life, and Stella's main purpose with the podcast is to inspire people to feel empowered, you know, to take account of their own life, to take a hold of their health, their happiness, and their well-being by just focusing on the little things that bring people joy. And Stella's also a yoga instructor. She's also the host of multiple wellness events and live podcast events throughout New York City, one of which I went to this past weekend, which was so much fun and so incredible to see just the community she's grown with her podcast. So I know you guys are going to love her podcast. You guys should definitely check it out. You know, if you're into this kind of stuff, what we talk about on this podcast, I know you guys will like hers as well. She's a great host, and I just feel like Stella and I just kept uncovering so many things we had in common in this episode, and the whole episode was just super aligned. So I know you guys are going to really like it. We cover a lot of different topics in this one. We chat all about mental health, obviously, and happiness. We talk about social media, Stella's experience growing up in New York City, We talk about sports and we talk about the pre-med track and how we both decided not to become doctors even though we were both planning on it. We talk about mentorship and yoga and navigating your 20s, toxic positivity, so many other topics. So I think there's really something for everyone in this episode and I think that everyone is going to take so much away. She is wise beyond her years and Before I let you listen, I do just want to remind you to give us a follow over on Instagram if you haven't already at thoughts.on.thriving and let us know what you think of the episode over there. Make sure to give Stella a follow as well and make sure to leave a five-star rating and review if you feel called to. That really helps us out and helps us get this podcast in the ears of more people. So without further ado, here is my episode with Stella and I hope you all enjoy. We have Stella on the podcast. She is the host of the Everyday Endorphins podcast, and I'm so excited to have you on, Stella. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. So could you tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, where you're from, and what you do now? Yeah. So I grew up in New York City and went to school for the Midwest, went to Washington University in St. Louis. While I was in college, I had a very like interdisciplinary major. It was a combination of philosophy, neuroscience, and psychology. So PNP for short. And I minored in creative writing and strategic management in WashU's business school. So I was really like all over the place. And then I, throughout college, I thought I was going to be pre-med, never really ended up pursuing the path and somehow fell into the world of business consulting. So that's where I've landed now. I work, um, in consulting and like strategy management consulting. 
And on the side, I have my podcast, which is called Everyday Endorphins. And the show is really about finding things in life that bring you joy, happiness, endorphins, and broadly speaking about mental health and wellness and and purposeful living. I love it. And I feel like your background in school kind of led you to this place with your podcast because I feel like neuroscience, psychology, philosophy, those are all very mental health oriented. And you said you were on the pre-med track and that kind of sparked my interest because we were talking before this and I was also on the pre-med track when I was in college. What kind of led you off that road? I'm, I'm always curious in this because I feel like so many people start out wanting to become doctors and then they realize they kind of don't want to do that and fall into something else. So if you could kind of speak on that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, growing up, I always wanted to like be a doctor. I always, I was very fascinated by the brain. So I wanted to be a neurosurgeon and I also was very like into acting in the arts. So I wanted to be an actor. Like I wanted to do everything. I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. Then I was really interested in journalism. So I wanted to be a medical correspondent so I could do both. Basically, um, when I got to college, I had applied to WashU as a bio major because I liked bio in high school. And as I mentioned earlier, I grew up in New York City and I went to a very science oriented high school. I went to Bronx Science. That was the name of the school. So it was like very science focused. And I honestly think that when I got to college, I I just felt a bit burnt out. Like I just didn't seem attractive to me to commit to two semesters of chemistry, two semesters of organic chemistry, physics, bio, like all of that. I just, it didn't really spark my interest anymore. And I took a class my freshman spring. It was called like med prep, I think. And it was really meant to be like a day in the life of working as a doctor. And I said to myself, I'll give myself freshman year, take this class, see if I even really want to pursue pre-med. If I really want it come sophomore year, I'll start late and I'll do all the requirements. Sophomore year rolled around and I was like, I don't love it enough to want to start now. So I just, I'm not going to do it. But I really had this like issue because I really loved medicine. Like I really wanted to be a doctor and I I had this passion for health and wellness and I just didn't really know what I was going to do with the PNP major. If I wasn't going to go become a physician, I didn't want to be a therapist. I didn't want to get my PhD and go into research and academia or academia. So I was kind of at this loss for what to do. Um, even though I decided to like, not really go down the pre-med path. But then the podcast was kind of this natural passion that it just, it just felt like starting a podcast was the right platform where all my interests could intersect. And, um, it's kind of almost like I've picked a parts of my major and I've incorporated it into the show. Cause it's about mental health and happiness, but there's a lot of like education in the foundation. Like what's very foundational to the show is having this very philosophical approach to understanding what makes us happy, how we define health, how we define what it means to lead a happy and healthy and fulfilling life. And something I've noticed is endorphins and happiness go far beyond the way the wellness industry spits out this image of like what it means to be healthy. And so what I try to promote on my show is really this holistic approach of happiness and health and like how to lead your healthiest and happiest life. And I think it's something that is fluid and always evolves and something that especially like 20 something year olds are trying to figure out because it's a a time of a lot of like inconsistency and change and growth and just figuring things out. 
Um, and so that's kind of, even though I'm not a physician, I care about health and wellness and the podcast is now this, this platform in which I can share that. I love so much of what you said. I have like so many questions for you now, but I first want to just highlight that, you know, you don't have to become a doctor if you're interested in health and wellness. And I think that this is something that I had to reconcile with when I was in college and I actually ended up doing all the classes. You kind of saved your time and effort and I probably should have done the same, although I did need a lot of the classes for what I'm doing now, which is training to become a dietitian. But you really don't need to become a doctor. And in many cases, you shouldn't become a doctor if you're interested in health and wellness. I know that doctors and you know physicians have the best intentions, but sometimes Western medicine in just my experience and my research isn't always the best approach to you know fulfillment and happiness and holistic health and well-being, which is kind of what you're talking about on your podcast. Of course, there's a time and place for Western medicine, but I found that the reason that I didn't go that route is because I thought that I could help people more doing what I'm doing now, like becoming a dietitian, doing this podcast, very similar to you having a platform where we kind of talk about the whole spectrum of health instead of one specialty, which we definitely need. And I don't want to <laughs> offend any doctors or people who are becoming doctors out there because doctors are amazing. My whole family is doctors, but um, but I, I like that you're kind of showing people that there's another way and there's another path. And I think that that's something I definitely needed to hear when I was growing up and kind of deciding what I wanted to do. But I really like that your school had that pre-med class where you got to kind of see what it was like, because it's really not what you think it is. Like working in a hospital is very hard. It's very taxing. It's very different and not like the romanticized version that a lot of people kind of play it out to be. So I think that's awesome that your school had that. But my first question for you is, were you always interested kind of, I know you were interested in biology in high school and that's why you went to Wash U with a bio major or you applied as bio, but were you always interested in mental health or did something happen in your childhood, teenagehood that like kind of sparked that journey of going on a mental health journey or was it just something that kind of came out of what you were studying? I think there's like three different ways I could kind of answer this question or at least maybe three different ways that like mental health became more prominent in my life. So like the first way or the first instance rather is growing up, like I've noticed that I've always had a very like naturally happy disposition. Like I've always been a very positive person. And I think I took that for granted growing up because I thought that was baseline. Like I thought this was everyone's perspective, like the way I saw things, which obviously <laughs> that's not how life is. Like not there's diversity of thought, people's perspectives on life. It, it's shaped by their childhood, the way they were raised, the environments they were in, the people they were around. And I think I was just very fortunate to have like a very stable household with very loving parents that I'm very close to that have allowed me to have this perspective that is just naturally very positive and, up and uplifting. And then of course, I just think it's very much my personality. Like I, I was too young to get a, a Facebook when I first got it, but it was like 2009. And I was looking back at my old posts and I changed my name 
to happy Stephanopoulos. Like I changed my first name to happy because I always just had this thing for like happiness, which is like kind of weird, but like, it's just been very true to my personality. So I think that like, I've always just had this natural general disposition towards positive well-being. in college. I started to notice that a lot of people were suffering with mental health struggles, close friends of mine suffering from anxiety, OCD, eating disorders, like everything you think of, like, and you can name it, like this was just prevalent in my college community. And I think like young adults at large, which is so sad and upsetting to see that we're in this mental health epidemic, but also like encouraging to have platforms like ours to help normalize those conversations. And, um, I had developed close friendships with a few people that were like naturally very, very pessimistic. And we just had complete opposite perspectives on life. And it kind of woke me up to be like, wait, not everyone like sees things the way I do. Like not everyone is like naturally happy and that's okay. You don't want to force happiness down people's throats. That's toxic positive positivity. And like, that's actually the opposite of what I'm promoting on the show, even though the name is around endorphins and happiness. But when I came to this realization, I was like, okay, everyone deserves to be like 10% happier. And it doesn't matter if you like suffer from anxiety, depression, whatever your baseline, whatever that is, like we are always seeking a sense of greater happiness in our lives. And like everyone deserves that. So I think all of these realizations just came together and really helped me develop a passion for mental health. And then lastly, like the third thing that I think really made it clear to me that mental health is so important is directly related to really the origin story of not the podcast, but everyday endorphins itself. So if we backtrack to like 2013, I started an Instagram account, which is what you see now, everyday endorphins. Like I've had this for almost a decade now. And the reason I started this Instagram was because when I was entered my freshman year of high school, I joined a rowing team and it was my first time doing anything athletics oriented. Like I hated sports. (laughs) I was not an athletic person. I had practiced yoga for a long time and I grew up dancing, but that was more like creative and like artistic focus than like get out on the field and like kick a soccer ball. Like that was not my thing, but I joined a crew team and I used this Instagram as like a blog, honestly, just to write about workouts. I was doing at the boathouse, the food I was eating as an athlete. Like it was really fun to just like take pictures and post about it. But rowing is such a physically intensive sport that I quickly realized how interconnected your mind and your body are. And your bodies can do so much more than you think it can. And I had developed so many lessons around grit and resilience and discipline from the sport of rowing that carried me throughout high school. And like these things I took through to my college experience and post-grad now that I'm incredibly grateful for. So I think that like being in a very stressful environment academically in high school and navigating a lot of change and transition at that time period, coupled with like rowing really kind of opened up my mind to seeing how interconnected our mind and our body is and how sports and athleticism is, it's really a mind game. Like how you speak to yourself, like how you coach yourself, um, the self-talk that you have, it's all very interrelated. And so rowing really was, I think a catalyst too, for this interest in mental health and wellness. Um, and then of course my major, like the philosophy really, really spoke to me. And I think that's something that's just kind of embedded in my personality as well is like that deep thinking, that critical lens. Thank you for that. There's once again, so many questions out of that. 
that I have for you, but the rowing really piqued my interest because it is such an intense sport and you, it, it is really a mind game with any sport. So on top of that, with the lessons that you learned, I think that with sports in general, I feel like a lot of people can start to put their identity in the sport, especially if they go on to play in college and that can lead to mental health issues in and of itself. Did you find that that happened to you? And did you play in college? Yeah. So I did not row in college. I did it for like two weeks and I was like, okay, I honestly committed so much of my high school experience to crew that I was like, I'm not about to sacrifice just like living yeah. a little in college just to you know be on a sports team. Um, and so I didn't experience like the mental health struggles that a lot of athletes face in college because I wasn't, I wasn't practicing. I wasn't competing, but I did experience stress and anxiety in school. Um, like in college, it was a big transition that I didn't really think was going to be as big as it was. And, um, experiencing that. And again, being surrounded by people in college that were struggling, like some close friends that were really struggling. It was hard for me to see. And it made me even more grateful to like not have ever clinically suffered from anxiety or depression when this is like very, very real for other people. So I was like, oh my God, I shouldn't be taking my natural baseline way of living for granted. Like I'm lucky to not have these, these experiences, um, as intensely as other people may have. And so it just became so apparent to me that these are conversations that need to be had. And, you know, mental health is just not, if not even more important than our physical health. You go to the doctor, if you have a physical ailment or if you're hurt, you go to the doctor. Why aren't we going to the doctor for our minds? Like, why isn't therapy, like all these things, why isn't that like fully normalized? And I think we're getting there, but it just, it really sparked my interest. Yeah, we definitely are getting there. It's definitely a lot more to go, but I really love what you're doing because it should just be as normal as going to, you know, the doctor for your yearly checkup or anything like that with your physical health. What do you think the reason is for so many of these mental health issues going on right now, especially in college? Like you said, you saw a lot of your friends struggle. You've interviewed a lot of people. Do you find that there's a lot of commonalities in people that have struggled or what do you think is the reason that it's so prevalent now and maybe it wasn't before or maybe have you found that it has always been this prevalent but we're just talking about it more now honestly I think it might be a combination of the both but I would say that our generation like I feel like there's so many like high achieving people and there's a lot of like competition and like competitiveness and I think that a lot of these feelings of like anxiety and, and stress related mental health issues, I think come from like this lack of like, you know, not being good enough or constantly comparing. And if you're like a really in an academically rigorous environment, like that can be very stressful. So I think that it's like a lot of different factors that contribute to this like overwhelming mental health epidemic that we're seeing for people specifically in our age group. But then granted, like a lot of these things are, um, like genetically, there's genetic influences and undertones and environmental as well. So it's hard to say like what the exact reason is, but I would definitely, I would definitely say that like a lot of the societal expectations that like our generation in particular is expected to uphold. I think that is definitely causes a lot of stress. 
Yeah, totally. And you said you went to a very science heavy high school, right? Was that, did that cause any sort of anxiety for you? Or did, did you find that your peers were having a lot of mental health issues because of that? Or do you think it was just kind of normalized? Yeah, well, I went to a very science oriented school. Also, I went to a specialized high school. So the way the pub, like the school systems work in New York, there's the private school system. You have to test to get into these schools. They're a bit more like prestigious, elite, whatever. Um, you're paying lots of money in tuition to send your kid there. And then there's the public school system. And generally speaking, there are great public schools in New York. Not all of them you have to test into. Some you do. Um, those tend to be like better academically. And then there's the specialized high school system and they're technically public. They're not like charter schools, but they're like a whole beast in and of themselves. You have to test into them and you take a specialized high school admissions exam and you have to get above a certain cutoff score and you rank the different specialized high schools you want to go to and you either get in or you don't, they don't look at your like middle school grades, you know, interview, nothing. And so many people apply. It's a very, very hard to get into. It's like a very competitive process. So I think like the culture at Bronx science was very, it was very rigorous. It was very stressful. They threw work down like on your plate. Like there was a lot of work that you had to do, which wasn't necessarily like a bad thing. I'm very grateful for that experience. I think Bronx science set me up for college for sure in terms of time management. And, um, I made really, really close friends in high school. And I, I mean, I loved going to a specialized high school. It, it like was cool to get to say you into Bronx science. Um, but it was definitely very exhausting, very test oriented. Every other Friday we had like a math exam. So you could feel the stress in the math wing in school. Like it was just tense, um, every other Friday. And so I think, yeah, I think that definitely contributed. Um, I remember like countless times in high school, I'd like pull up to school, so stressed. I would like cry before the day even began. And like rowing was definitely really stressful. It really ate up my social life. I was practicing every day after school. You get home, you're exhausted. You have to eat, have, you know, have dinner, shower, then do homework, study. I was practicing Saturday morning. So I never really went out on a Friday. Like my social life definitely felt very limited because crew took over my life. And at times I was resentful. I, you know, I wanted to go out with my friends and be out partying, whatever. And like, I literally couldn't. And I'm sure my parents loved it because they knew I was not getting into any trouble, but like, you know, I wanted a Friday night and I like could never have that because I had practiced and then I was tired and I wasn't going to go out and get no sleep and have to do Saturday morning practice. So there were so many like variables that definitely made high school super stressful and intense. And I think I just did the best I could to manage the anxiety that I felt then. I like can't even imagine what that was like when you were telling me about all that. I started to get stressed out. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, how did you do that? And, you know, be a full-time athlete. Like that's, that's very commendable. So that's, I mean, I can't even imagine. Um, what was it like growing up in New York city in general, besides the school part of it? Like, do you think that that also has kind of shaped you to have more grit and more, street smarts or like, what was your experience with that? I'm always curious when people tell me they grew up in the city or they grew up in the city because I feel like it's just so different than anything else. It's not like the suburbs. So I'd love to hear your take on that as well. Yeah. I mean, I think growing up in New York, it's a very unique place to grow up, but it's also when you grow up here, you don't really know anything else. So you, it's just your norm. And when I went to college, it was very like, 
um, clear to me how New York really instills a lot of like different values. I think um, being in a very liberal city, seeing tons of different types of people walk down the street all the time. There's this sense of independence you get a, at a younger age. Um, you just kind of tend to grow up a, a bit faster. I'm also an only child. So I always was just like around my parents and around a lot of adults growing up. And of course, like kids my own age, like having friends through activities through school and whatever. But um, New York is definitely a very unique place to be. But I grew up on the Upper East Side. And in high school, I moved to Riverdale, which is in the Bronx. And I went to school in the Bronx for high school. So it was an easy commute to my high school, my rowing team was like an upper, upper, upper Manhattan, but we would row like in Manhattan and in the Bronx. So like I was not too far from my boathouse. So the convenience then was really nice, but, um, getting out of the Upper East Side for like the few years while I was in uh, high school. And then obviously I left New York for college. That was definitely a big transition. Like I, my entire life was on the Upper East Side, my friends, my family, um, like obviously, you know, my parents, but extended family, um, my activities, like everything was in like a 10 block radius. And so when I moved, it was very, you know, I didn't really have a say in the matter. Like you're, you know, you're a kid, you can't choose where your family's moving to. Um, but it was definitely a shift. And like, I didn't really have any friends in Riverdale until I made like a few that I met in high school, but primarily like my social life, everything still revolved around being like on the upper East side or the upper West side, like largely like upper Manhattan. Um, and so I think it was definitely a very difficult transition. And, uh, you know, at the time, I don't think I fully understood it. And looking back in a way, I think I'm grateful to have gotten out of the Upper East Side because I think it definitely breeds a culture of very like narrow minded, stereotypical, what you think of like New York Gossip Girl-esque. And um, it was good to have a perspective shift, not even though I wasn't necessarily looking for it when you look back, I think, you know, I am grateful for that, but I think it definitely shaped my New York experience at large. Like I realized New York is beyond the borough of Manhattan. Like there is so much more than just like the 10 block radius that I had of like 83rd street down to like whatever. Um, so I think, you know, it's allowed me to appreciate different parts of New York differently. It's so interesting. I mean, you brought up the Gossip Girl card. I was going to bring it up, but I, when you said Upper East Side, that's like what I think of. It's like that whole energy of private New York City high schools and like all this wealth and just a very, very specific way of living. So it's very interesting that you kind of spoke to that and said that you got that perspective shift that you kind of now in retrospect needed or wanted or I guess you didn't want it, but it has helped you in some way. Going back to the mental health aspect of it, you said you have always had like a positive disposition. You've always been pretty happy personality wise. And, you know, happy Stephanopoulos was your Facebook <laughs> name. So do you think that that has kind of caused those around you, whether it be your family, your friends, to always kind of expect you to be happy? And has that added like extra pressure for you to be good all the time? Or like, is it kind of just the way you are and it just doesn't really affect you? I, I feel like I have a very similar, I've always been like a very happy, upbeat person, very positive. People kind of associate me with that as well. And I feel like for me, it's just kind of an expectation that I'll always be good and be happy. So I, I kind of want to know if you relate to that. 
Yeah. I, you know, honestly, I don't think that like any of my close friends or family, like I've never felt pressure to always be on, always be happy because I can definitely be like a little dramatic or like stress. And, you know, like I'll go to my parents things and like, I'll cry whatever. And like, they've seen me unhappy for sure. My friends have definitely seen me unhappy and stressed. Like they're usually my first line of defense when I need like help. I'm like, I need to talk this through with you. Like, listen to me, whatever. But, um, I actually think though, that because naturally, like I've always had this like positive attitude, I've always been the friend that's that people have gone to, to like make them feel better if they felt stressed or like, if you know, are seeking advice and I'm happy to play that role in my friendships. It actually makes me feel really good when I can help someone in that way. Um, which is why, like, I thought maybe, you know, maybe I would do the therapy track if I'm not going to be a doctor, but then I realized I actually didn't want to become a therapist. Um, but that role of like mentorship, giving advice, I've always loved providing that for my friends. Um, but I do think like, to your point, maybe some people always expecting you to be on all the time. I think there is this misconception that like people who don't struggle with anxiety, like if they've never been diagnosed with anxiety or depression, or they've never been to therapy and like, they always seem happy all the time. I think there's this misconception that like those people like have the perfect life. They'll just meditate and like their problems go away. I remember someone that I went to school with, uh, (laughs) who I was living with at the time had made a comment to me. She was like, well, you know, like Stella, you know, she just like meditates all day and her problems go away. Like she's fine. And I was so frustrated by that comment because it's not true. Like just because, yeah, maybe I like tend to like smile more or I'm naturally very positive. It doesn't mean that I am happy a hundred percent of the time. That's not realistic. And that's simply not life. Like that would be very concerning if you were happy all the time. And if you were, that's definitely a facade. Like that's not, that's not real. And that comment honestly really got me annoyed because that that's not like, I think that paints like a sense of like being naive and that's not what it, that, that is toxic positivity. That's just not what it means to like move through life with a happier, more positive, more uplifting disposition. And so I think there is still that, um, misconception maybe around, around people who like fall under the, the bucket of like experiencing mental illness versus those that don't directly experience that. And that's also why on my show, I'm really trying to promote this sense of general well-being because the prerequisite to being happy does not mean that you have to have been diagnosed with mental illness. Like, frankly, we shouldn't be focusing the conversation solely on mental illness because I think it's important to be preventative. Like you don't, you, you want to set yourself up for success. Why wait to the moment where you feel like you're in like the depths of despair to then have to get yourself out of that? Like there are things I think we should be doing every day to just take care of ourselves that you can get as far away from like (laughs) the, the valleys as possible, but it's natural, you know, things always ebb and flow. So yeah, to your, your comment, like no one's ever expected me to be on hundred percent of the time, but there are instances where people have made those kind of comments and it drives me insane. Cause I'm like, no, like I'm not like a hundred, you know, happy go lucky. Like that is not my that is not my character. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think what you said with the the kind of valleys of happiness and just kind of preventing preventing 
you know, the going to the depths of like our unhappiness and kind of just trying to be generally well and not go there is really important. I think that we kind of romanticize the like rock bottom. I don't know if you agree with this, but I've kind of, I don't know. And like, not even biographies, just like podcasts or certain books, some biographies of people, a lot of people have like a rock bottom moment where people share their story and they're like, I hit this point and I was just so unhappy and so depressed and so anxious that something had to change. And I think that's awesome that like they were able to go on their journey from there, but I don't think that's necessary for everyone. And I think that some people kind of think it might be, so they might even be perpetuating themselves to get to that point so that they can then make a change in their lives. But I feel like you're kind of here to tell people, no, like, let's make a change today. Let's prevent this today. And let's, let's kind of take accountability and responsibility for our our health and our happiness right now, instead of when we hit that rock bottom in five years. So I really like, you know, just the whole mission of your show. And I want to know after interviewing so many people, you have 80 episodes right now of Everyday Endorphins and you've had so much success with your podcast, it seems. What have been some of your biggest takeaways on finding endorphins and finding our true happiness? Like what have been some of the biggest learnings that you've taken away from your guests? Yeah. Well, one of them being endorphins come from so many things like happiness can be derived in so many different ways. And it's funny because most people know of endorphins obviously is like the runner's high, like you get it from exercise. And then there's that legally blonde quote where, where Elwood says, you know, exercise brings you endorphins and endorphins make you happy, blah, 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 blah. And so I think we, we see this association so greatly tied between exercise and endorphins. And there is so much validity to that. Like I'm not a runner, but there are times when like, maybe I am on a run and all of a sudden I'm just like, time has lost me. And you just feel so good. Or even in, in crew, like we would do a steady state workout and you're just, it was very rhythmic too. So it was kind of like relaxing in a weird sense. And there'd be times if I was like really tuned into a workout, like I would just lose myself in it. And I felt that endorphin rush, but how great would it be to feel that from like other things? Like it doesn't just have to be from exercise. And I think a lot of people tend to have, and especially young women, I would say like unhealthy relationships to exercise. So what I found from my podcast is, you know, when I ask people, what brings you endorphins, their answers really like, it's such a wide variety. It's from spending time with my friends to watering this plant that I have every morning or like making my cup of coffee every day. Or one answer that I loved was one of my friends who I had on the show talked about how she loves the time where you're getting ready to like go meet a friend for dinner or go meet someone for a drink or go out for the night. And you're like alone and you're, you're maybe you're listening to music. Maybe you're not, but you're like getting ready. You're like doing your skincare. You're putting on your makeup and no one's bothering. You're just with yourself. Like she described it so perfectly. And I could really relate to that because sometimes those are such special moments that you have for yourself. And so I think, um, you know, just across my interviews, I've, I've learned how so many different things can make people feel happy. And also by interviewing lots of different types of people, like not just doctors and therapists, like people who are abstracted away from the health and wellness field, there's a lot of happiness and and wellness that's related to creative endeavors. Like people who are in the music industry and fashion and arts and entertainment. Health is 
all encompassing. So it doesn't have to be exclusive to just, you know, being a doctor or a therapist or nutritionist. Um, health really finds itself in so many different fields and passions. I love that. There's something, you know, for everyone to get endorphins from, not just the exercise or the food or something like, you know, health and wellness related, which is so true. And you've mentioned toxic positivity a couple times in this interview. And I want to go back to that for a second, because I feel like there's such a thin line between trying to find true happiness and chasing the endorphins and all of what we're talking about. And then kind of reaching that state of toxic positivity and just trying to be good all the time or stay up and upbeat and happy all the time. And I want to know what you think the line is. Like, where do you think, where do you think the difference is? Where's that gray area? What is toxic positivity to you and how can we prevent ourselves from going there? Yeah. Um, don't quote me on this cause I did not Google the definition, but my understanding of toxic positivity is like, you're spewing out like fake happiness all the time. Like you're overly positive. Like everything is always going well. Um, and that's, it's just not realistic, like frankly. And also things are very much like dual in nature. It's like the yin and the yang idea. So without, you, you, you have to experience some form of sadness or negative affect to appreciate the positive affect. There's that contrast. And I honestly think the movie Inside Out, that Disney film, like is so, so incredibly amazing and so well good. written, right? <laughs> yeah. Because you you learn how every single emotion is interrelated. Like you can't really have one without the other. And oftentimes if you're feeling like an overwhelming sense of emotion, the hardest part is identifying exactly which ones you're feeling because they're so overlapping. So why I don't really understand toxic positivity and like why it's just not realistic is because happiness doesn't come without feelings of nostalgia and sadness or whatever. Like these emotions can trigger other ones in your brain to experience. Um, and I think that, you know, the line, it's very difficult to draw, but when you start to recognize that happiness is not external, it is fully like within you, within yourself and harnessing that inner power, not to sound cliche, but like if you really can tap more within and actively do things in your life, make conscious decisions and choices to find greater happiness, to bring greater happiness into your life. Like I think that is really like the source of, of overall well-being. Like, you know, we, humans want quick fixes. We think a magic pill is going to solve everything. Or if we make more money, we're going to be happier. And the psychology of money is really fascinating because there are studies that show that you can make to a certain you know amount of money. And once you hit that threshold and go above, you're not, your happiness and life satisfaction is actually not improving. Um, so instead of thinking, oh, once I get this, or once I get that, I'll be happy like that's just usually not how it works. <laughs> it's really about like finding that sense of wellness within you. So what can you do to make yourself feel good about yourself? There are lifestyle decisions you can make to, um, to bring that happiness within. I love it. I, I really like kind of the, <laughs> the analogy with inside out the movie, because 
I mean, we talk a lot about spirituality on this podcast. So sort of like happiness. I mean, it it is about happiness, spirituality, but they say a lot of the times instead of emotions, just kind of darkness and light, like you can't have the light without the dark. And if you do try to do that, you're sort of spiritual bypassing, which is sort of what I equate to toxic positivity um, in the psychology sense is that like you're kind of bypassing all of the the stuff you got to go through the the deep work and just kind of telling everyone you're okay or, or that everything's good or that everything's light and love and joy and i find that a lot of people who have the most pain are the people who do kind of say like live laugh love you know the people with their instagram bio having all these these words and things like that in it and then in real life you talk to them and they're just really not happy um that's just been my experience but (laughs) I don't know if you relate to that but a lot of people I feel like do kind of bypass the the gunk the shit and um you do have to go through all of it you do have to have those bad moments those moments of despair and darkness and it doesn't have to be that bad but like you do have to have them to enjoy the happy moments too Mm -hmm, I agree and a a follow-up with that like I think it's also about not fixating on the negative moments because psychologically we tend to give more weight to negative affect. It's called the negativity bias. So like as humans, we're naturally inclined to focus on the bad things, which is why I think we can all, you know, tend to have a more negative view or outlook of the world. But I think it's important to recognize that like the negative affect is necessary. Like that is the human condition. Like it is the human condition to go through these things, but it's important to make the active effort to redirect your attention, to be intentional about doing that to things that are generally more positive. Um, and I agree. I mean, social media too. It's, it's horrible. I like, you know, battle with finding a healthy, like engaging with social media in a healthy way. It's very difficult. Um, because people portray their highlight reel of their lives. And you know that it's not hundred percent true. You know, it's not hundred percent accurate. And, you know, even if you're being like fully honest on Instagram about like your mental state, I don't even know how far that goes sometimes. Like I, I kind of go back and forth on my perspective about, about using Instagram and social media in the most real way possible. I think the nature of it doesn't necessarily set you up for success. I feel like you could only take it so far, um, which is why I think like just limiting it as much as you can is like the best for promoting happiness, really. Yeah, I think, I mean, let's talk about this a little bit because I did want to talk about social media with you. I think you're totally right. And even in those negative moments, I find that a lot of creators, influencers, whoever is kind of sharing those rougher times, it's usually after the fact, or at least after they've cooled down a bit from it, or have like had some time to think and step back. And even then you're not getting the most real authentic version of it because they've had time to kind of put it into a more logical framework that then they share with their followers. And I feel like that still kind of makes it a little less real but I do also appreciate the one like the people I follow who do do that because then it's like okay at least you're not living like this fantasy land life that like is unattainable for everyone so I also go back and forth on it as well I think that yeah I don't know I don't know what the best way to do it is I don't know how to breed the most authenticity I don't know if you've heard like any of your guests talk about this or if you have any tips on that or what you think about like what is the most authentic way to share 
kind of the not so good moments, but I, yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, that's a good point. I haven't necessarily spoken about that on my show, but I have had some interviews that are around like big tech, mental health, engaging with social media in a, in a healthier way. Um, I think that a lot of like the way we portray ourselves on social media is directly tied, like honestly, to our self-esteem. Like, should I post this? Should I not? Like seeking validation. And if you can work on that part of yourself completely separate from social media, like if you can work on baseline, like improving self-esteem, it will be much easier for you to just live more authentically on social media and like post what you want to share. Um, so maybe it's like less of social media. That's the issue. It just kind of amplifies the already pre-existing challenges with self-esteem, with self-confidence, et cetera, and makes it worse. So, um, if you really fully feel confident and comfortable in yourself, in theory, it should be easier to engage with these platforms. Um, but the other thing that makes it tricky is like, it's an app of comparison too. This person's on this vacation here. This person's doing that. I'm not successful enough. I'm not. So it's, it's very tricky. I mean, there's certain practices you can do. Like you can mute people's stories. You can go on like a digital detox and unfollow people that you've genuinely like have no reason to follow. <laughs> like I try to do that periodically. Um, I'm following people from high school that I don't even interact with. I'm like, I don't, I don't look at your life. So like, why am I following you? Like, you're not, we're not friends. Um, people from college, like, I think it's important to kind of go through that process. Um, and it's about being intentional really, I think. Totally. I think it's, I think what you were trying to say is kind of like encompassing the ego and how everyone's kind of living out of their ego. And with that comes all the comparison and the, you know, wanting to put on a show for others, just kind of even the likes on social media, like my ego feels great when I get a lot of likes on a post or if I post like a, like a picture of myself and then it gets a lot of good comments. Like that's such a boost to the ego. And then it's that much more work to kind of get yourself out of that loop in your head and like kind of get yourself to realize that none of this is none of it matters none of it is real um and when you do come at from that framework and just kind of just from a place of like you know I'm just gonna post this because I want to share my life with people and like with my family and friends and in a loving way instead of like I want to get all these likes and comments it's much more enjoyable and I love what you said about the muting and the you know the digital detox I actually recently went through an un or I didn't unfollow I muted like most of the people I follow I'm only left like four or five accounts on on my like I use the the Instagram for this podcast quite a bit and so on that Instagram I was following so many people and I was getting bombarded with all these you know reels and all these noises and then I'd start tapping on stories and start comparing myself like oh my god look at this girl she's like in Madrid right now and I want to be in Madrid like all these different things and I think it's been really really good for my mental health so that's a great tip right there I would love to kind of move towards talking about work and working in your 20s and just being in your 20s and all of that. So I saw you wrote an article about how you've been following Jay Shetty's footsteps in your life and your career unintentionally. Um, so just kind of to start this conversation off, I'd love to hear about that and just kind of like why he's become this mentor figure that you look to. 
Yeah. So some backstory on this article. I was listening to a podcast like a few months ago and he was being interviewed on it and he name drops Accenture, which is the company I work for. And I was like, wait, Jay Shetty worked for Accenture. Like funny. I work at Accenture. And now of course Accenture is 700,000 employees. It's a big, big company. So there are like thousands of people that have and work at Accenture. But what really interested me about this tidbit of information I heard (laughs) was that I had like been following his podcast for a while on purpose. And when you backtrack to like his story, Jay Shetty was a Buddhist monk and experienced a lot of like rejection in his life, like looking for work and then ended up at Accenture and was working in like the digital strategy practice, I believe. Then left, he developed a video series, which got a hold of Ellen Shook, I believe, who's the head of HR, and then Ariana Huffington, who works at, um, who used to work at the Huffington Post, um, and now is at Thrive Global. She founded Thrive Global. So eventually, Jay Shetty moves from Accenture, starts working at HuffPo, and then develops into his own entrepreneurial pursuits, like wellness mogul. And as I like started to put the pieces together, I was like, wait, like, not that I'm the next Jay Shetty, but it was kind of like clear to me that I was kind of following in his footsteps without even knowing it. Like I didn't choose to work at Accenture because I knew Jay worked there. Like I didn't find that out until being up in my job for like, you know, almost six or seven months or so. Um, and the parallels that I draw in this article is how, you know, he worked, he was a Buddhist monk. I went to Bali to get my yoga teacher training. So clearly like I have interest in spirituality and and wellness and all of that. I interned at Accenture. I work there full time now. Um, I also was a writer for Thrive while in college. And so, you know, although I don't write for the Huffington Post, like there's that connection with like Ariana Huffington with Thrive, HuffPost. And now, you know, I have this podcast and Jay has a podcast and he has a book and he's like, does all these things in health and wellness. So I wrote this article because I was like, that's kind of cool. Like, I just, I want to write about this. And really the article was more so around like the value of mentorship. And so I was situating this funny story that I like saw the parallels in our life and our career paths. It's situated in the broader context of like the importance of mentorships and mentor figures in your life and never really knowing how a mentor may show up for you. Like there are mentors that you may consider in, you know, like your parents maybe are mentor figures to you or certain friends or family members that you go to for advice. Like they they play a role in mentorship, but then of course there can be people that seem like unattainable that you think you're never going to cross paths with like celebrities or public figures that you can consider a mentor. And I think all different types of mentors are important and it's important to have people and things that are aspirational to you. And so that was really the purpose of the article, but then it was grounded in like this example where like I draw from my life and I compare it to what I've seen Jay do and how cool I thought it was that we have these similarities. And the best part of the story was that Ariana Huffington reshared the article and then tagged Jay Shetty in it and he retweeted it. So I was over the moon when that happened. Um, one day, knock on wood, manifesting a podcast interview with Jay Shetty, which I think would be wonderful. But um, yeah, that was a really, really fun article to write and just to get my my story out there. 
I love it. I feel like that can definitely happen sometime soon. So I'm manifesting that for you too, because I love Jay Shetty. I think he's great. And I didn't know that he worked at Accenture either until I saw that article. So that's really cool. And kind of to that point and just your career trajectory, you also graduated college in 2021, like I did. And we graduated college in a pandemic and it was really weird and kind of crazy. And it was just a really crazy time to graduate and then enter the workforce, which wasn't really the way the workforce had ever been, which is also really crazy. And now everything's virtual or hybrid or, you know, a few days in a few days, whatever you want. Like, I, I really don't know. I'm not even in the workforce completely right now because I'm still in grad school, but I really just want to know what your experience has been kind of entering the real world, quote unquote, in this time, because I feel like it's a very unique experience that not that many people can say they've had. Yeah, I mean, it definitely poses its challenges in the sense that, you know, when I started working, we were still like virtual mainly, and then it was hybrid, but no one was really going to the office. Then like Omicron hit. So the offices were closing. Definitely. Like it was just weird. Um Luckily, like I moved back to New York, so it's not like I was necessarily looking for like a work community. Like I had my friends, family still in New York, but if I moved to a different city, like I would have really wanted like a work community that it I think is hard to build in this, you know, the virtual environment. So that was definitely pretty jarring and different. Um, in ways though, like I think we're kind of let off the hook. I signed up for consulting when I was recruiting for the internship. And I was under the impression this was going to be a Monday through Thursday travel four days a week job. And I was like, okay, cool. That sounds fun. Now, if I like really think about it, that's probably really exhausting. Like no wonder people burn out. I don't know how people did it. So in a way, I think like we've had it kind of on the easier end in certain respects, like working from home where you can do your laundry during the day, like it just opens up so much time and honestly has really allowed me to continue with my podcast. Um, there's more time in the day because you're not commuting. There's more time in the day to infuse your passions into your working life. And I don't know if I could have done it, done this, if I was doing the Monday through Thursday travel, um, you know, how could I have planned in-person events in New York? If I was never in New York, like that just sounds exhausting. Um, so I think it's a give and take. And I think in ways I've been lucky with this setup, but it's also been challenging at times for sure. Yeah. And I feel like also just dealing with all the transitions of this time, you know, being in your twenties and being the age that we're at, that would add another layer to all of that. So I think it does kind of bring that ease forth in, in the way that you were describing and, you know, we are both in the middle of our 20s. I mean, not even in the middle. We're, we're like in the middle of our early 20s. <laughs> and um, I feel like we just we both have this in common, like we both have podcasts and we're just kind of already asking kind of the deeper questions and have been on this more conscious path of finding happiness and finding our pur- our purpose. And I, I, th- I don't think everyone's doing that right now. And so as someone who has been on this journey and you know, with what you do for your job, but also for your side hustle with the podcast, what have been the biggest learning so far from being in your twenties? And like, what have you kind of learned in these last few years that has stuck with you from what you've gone through? Um, I really think that something that I 
have started to learn more recently and try to live by, like really try to take my own advice on this one is that it's okay to slow down. And it's actually really important to slow down. Um, there is no rush for anything truly. Um, I tend to rush a lot of things. I, that's just how I've always been. Like when I was younger, I would like, cause I wanted to be efficient. Like I'd always make careless mistakes on like math tests, for example. Cause I had, if I had just reread the, like the problem one more time and like took the extra 30 seconds, I would have gotten the right answer. Like I've always been very efficient, but I think it's caused me to rush through things. And, um, that's not necessarily like the best thing. So I think that in your twenties, we're still so young. There is time to explore. We're not bound to anything. We should take this time to explore. Like we should take risks. We should enjoy the unknowing. And that's hard for me to do because I like to know everything, but I really do think that it's important to take that time to slow down and realize that like we, there really is no race to the finish line. It's so important. And just before we finish everything off, I need to ask you about Bali because you said you did your yoga teacher training there and we were talking earlier. I love Bali. It's like my favorite place I've ever been. I did like a I like volunteered there for three weeks, basically one summer in college and I fell in love. So I'd love to hear about your experience doing the yoga teacher training there and just in general, your experience with yoga and how that helps you. And yeah, you do. I could, I could talk about this forever. So I'll try to keep <laughs> it brief, but I went to Bali to get my yoga teacher training. I got certified like last summer. So when we had just graduated college and I had all the time in the world, it was amazing. I don't know where you were in Bali, but I was in Changu. I don't, okay. is that where you were? I was based in Ubud, but I went to Changu and it was amazing. I went there twice actually, cause I liked it so much. Yeah. Changu is awesome. Yeah. I also visited Ubud, very spiritual place. Yeah. I would not have done my teacher training in Ubud though. Cause I think it would have been too culty <laughs> and like, <laughs> a little too like, you know, hippy dippy. Um, totally. I visited Uluwatu, like Bali is just gorgeous. The culture is so beautiful. Like there's the people there are so family oriented and so like grateful for things in life. It was very refreshing. Um, I went alone. So it was kind of like my eat, pray, love summer. Like very, like I just graduated. I had a job lined up, like very much kind of like a spiritual escapade in a sense. Um, and it was just really peaceful. Like doing a solo trip was amazing. I met people, I made friends, um, of all ages, of all backgrounds. And it was really cool to get to go to, um, Southeast Asia by myself. Like I'd never done that before. So it was a great experience and like, so cool. Like I felt so cool. And I would tell people like, yeah, like I'm going to Bali or like, I just got back from Bali. Like I've, that was what I think what was so difficult when I started work. I was like, I'm not cool anymore. Like I'm a slave to my job. Well, not in a bad way. Like I'm not a slave to my job. That's not what I'm trying to say. Like, you know, we're, we're stuck in the corporate world, you know? So it's like, oh my God, my days are now filled with work and I have like a client and I have a manager. Like it just felt very monotonous. And the fact that like, you can't just take endless vacations. You have PT. Like it was just such a shift and I think it was just difficult to make that transition. And I was so longing to go back to Bali. I'd also moved home when I went back, when I came back to New York. 
And I felt like I was regressing and it was difficult and it was so uncomfortable because I'm so close to my parents. And I was like, why am I hating being around my parents? Like I normally love their company. Why is this like so hard? But it was really difficult living at home. And it was just, yeah. Cause you know, you, I had this like such amazing experience and then you feel like you have the polar opposite and you're like, oh my God, how do I like get back to like that feeling of what it was like to be in Bali? And that was something I struggled with because I was attaching that sense of happiness to something external. If I could just be back there, if I could just do this teacher training again, like if I could just live there for a little longer, like I would be happier, but it, you know, things have their time and their place and looking for it outside myself, like wasn't making me any happier. So, um, you know, I appreciated it while it lasted and I'd love to visit it again, but that was just a specific time in my life. Um, and it served its purpose then it was amazing. I love it. I think so many people can relate to what you just said. I personally can relate on so many levels to just the, the hit to the ego where you're like, Oh, I was so free then. And now I'm like stuck in whatever you're doing now. I was stuck working in a hospital all year this year and didn't get to travel. And it's like, I put so much of my identity into traveling and being a world traveler and like always being on flights and, you know, just being busy with this. And then I was like, literally stuck in New York for a whole year working at a hospital every day. And I was like, Oh, this is just like, so not what I want to be doing right now. But it really is like, there's a lesson to be learned in that same thing with living at home with your parents. Like, I don't know about you, but I moved back home when COVID hit like from college. And so that was a really weird transition as well. That was another hit to my ego, I guess. Cause it was like, Oh, like I was so independent in college and now I'm home. And like, I feel like I'm regressing and yeah, it's just, it's a very, it's a very interesting feeling, but I feel like all of those are put on our path for a reason. And like, there's something that we can learn from all of those experiences, even though it feels like maybe we're going backwards in our growth. It's actually put there for you by the universe to show you how to like reach the next level of yourself to show you how to grow instead of go backwards. I completely agree. And I think that's a good mentality to take because the next time, because it's inevitable, there will be a next time when something's difficult and challenging instead of like hating yourself for it or like falling into the trap of um, like the victim mindset, make it more productive. Like if you can really believe that, that things are happening for you, it makes things less scary, even if it's a, an experience you don't like and is unpleasant if you can really start to believe this is for me and like what is for me is not going to pass me, things don't have to be so deep. Like they don't have to be so intense. Like it doesn't have to be so stressful. Like you can let things go more easily. And that's another big, like learning from yoga, from my teacher training, Buddhist philosophy is non-attachment and impermanence. The only thing that's constant in life is change. And like the suffering is when we attach ourselves. It's like, you know, when we attach ourselves to that, um, to things that we don't want to change, that's when real suffering comes in and it's usually self-inflicted. Exactly. Completely agree. And I feel like it just becomes so much more easy when you can just like put your hands up and surrender. And it's like the hardest thing in the world. But when you do, that's when the magic happens. So I love ending on that note. Before we do go on to the rapid fire questions, though, I do have to ask you just to round it out. What brings you endorphins? Because I know you asked your guests that, and I'm sure maybe you've had it turned back to you a couple of times, but just for my listeners, I want to know what makes you feel good and what gets those happy chemicals flowing. Yeah. Um, 
So normally I would say yoga. Like that's always been my answer. I do really love yoga. There's no other feeling than like being in a really good class with like a teacher that you just really enjoy and like you feel good in your body. But aside from yoga, a very particular unique answer. I love the feeling of (laughs) I, okay. I personally like really like rap music. Not a lot of people would like think that about me upon meeting me, but like, I, I love rap and I was always very like musically inclined growing up and somehow like I always had a good ear. So if I listen to songs a few times over, I tend to memorize the lyrics. Um, and I always listen to like the same songs on repeat, like on my Spotify. You're literally like, describing me right now. Sorry to yeah. interrupt you. Like I have every song memorized, like to the, to every word and yeah, you're just keep going. <laughs> yeah. And so like, what better feeling is there when you're out with your friends and you're listening to music and it comes on at like a bar or a club or wherever you're at. And you know, every single lyric, like rap in particular, like okay. I love that. And I love, it surprises people, <laughs> even like my guy friends are like, how does she, like, she knows more of this than I do. And I love just like knowing it and like rapping along to it. So that's a very like unique <laughs> and particular answer. Um, I get a little endorphin hit when I'm like in the group of that. <laughs> I love that answer. That's so good. I completely agree. I don't love rap music, unfortunately, but everything else that you said, I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it can be like anything else. Like exactly. I love a good like Gwen Stefani moment, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> anything that I know all the words to like I'm there and it's, it's going to be good, but <laughs> I'm apologize to whoever has to be around me. Cause I unfortunately was not blessed with a good voice, Um, but that's okay. You can't get it all. You can't have it all. Okay. So I have five rapid fire questions for you. The first one is what's your favorite fruit? Right now, strawberries. I had some good ones earlier today. Yum. And what is your sun sign in astrology? Is that like your, just your, yeah. Like like, your, like the most basic one. Yeah. Virgo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Your birthday's coming up. And what is one book that changed your life that you'd recommend to everyone? Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. What's what's it about? It's really good. He was a Holocaust survivor and it's oh, cool. about his philosophy on living and life and suffering. It like I read it in high school and it just it's it's stuck with me ever since. It's something I honestly should reread, I think. It's a, one of those books I think you can like reread at different points in your life. Highly recommend. Wow. Yeah, I want to read that. What is one habit or ritual that you do every single day that's a non-negotiable for you? I make my bed every morning. I like that answer. No one's <laughs> ever said that. <laughs> my mom would be very happy to hear that. I don't know. It's just I it's my morning part of my morning routine. And what are your thoughts on thriving? You know, what what do you think the key to thriving is? The show is called Thoughts on Thriving. So what do you think is the key to that? That's a great question. It's a hard one to answer. I think when you like really feel like you're thriving, it's you feel like a sense of like full confidence and clarity in like your decisions and like the way in which you're going about your life. Um, And thriving can look like so many different things. You know, it's, I think it's about figuring out like how you define your success. Um, I feel like I'm thriving when I you know, feel like I've, I feel good in my relationships. I feel like I'm meeting new people. I'm 
connecting with old friends. I'm doing a good job at work. I have a really fulfilling interview on my show. Like all these little things add up and it makes me feel like I'm thriving. Um, and it boosts my confidence. So I think that's kind of like the key is, 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 um, is finding things that like boost your confidence in that way. Totally. Confidence is such a, an integral part of thriving and just feeling good. And I like what you said about your relationships. Cause at the end of the day, like it is what, that's what life is all about. It's like how we relate to others and the people in our lives. So I love it. I love your answers. I love this interview and I'm so grateful to have had you on the podcast and to have connected with you. So if anyone else wants to connect with you and find you, find your show, I know you're having uh, an event this Saturday in New York for your podcast. This unfortunately won't go up before then, but just to find like, you know, the future events and everything you're doing with that, where can everyone find you? Yeah. The best way to connect is if you want to listen to the show, like if you want to just go straight to the episodes, you can just type in everyday endorphins on Spotify or Apple podcasts. That's where you can listen also available on like a few other listening platforms my Instagram, which is everyday underscore endorphins is where I post about my interviews. I post about yoga content. Um, some of my TikTok content is on there. The TikTok is just everyday endorphins. And I also post about upcoming events that I, I host in New York. And then if you want kind of like the one stop shop for everything, my website is just everydayendorphins.com. And, um, there's a link to some of the written work I've done with Thrive when I was writing for them. And there's also the link to the, the piece I wrote about Jay Shetty and mentorship. So that's linked on my website. Um, but if you ever want to chat, like send me an email, DM me, I'm very responsive. Um, and if you want to listen, check out the show on Spotify and Apple. Yeah, everyone make sure to go listen to her show, leave her five stars. It's really, really good. I can vouch for her. And thank you so much again, Stella. I really, really loved our conversation. And thank you all for listening. Thank you. This was so fun. This was great. I love what you're doing with the show. And it was such a pleasure to be on. Thank you. Bye, guys.